0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and if you would like to be a part of the program, you sure can. You can give me a call on the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. Remember a handful of episodes back or so, I mentioned that I was going to be uh, on a uh, podcast, a show called the CityCast Denver podcast. Well, I, I was on this past week, and I, and I want to play the segment for you in just a minute. But I, I want to explain also about how this came about and what and what happened here. So it was all about Thanksgiving or so, or maybe a little bit before Thanksgiving. My general manager of the TV station, he was uh, talking apparently to this guy Paul, who is the executive producer for CityCast Denver podcast. And they were talking, I guess, about the podcast or, or about, I think, uh, Brian, the GM, my GM uh, listens to it. And he thought, my GM did, uh, that I would make a good guest on their show. So Paul contacted me and asked if I could uh, maybe comment on the worst intersections in Denver. Well, I, I wanted to know what the metric was there. In other words, d- did, you, did he mean that? It, the intersection was worst because of the number of crashes there, or the number of people that might have been pedestrians hit there, or the most confusing intersection, or uh, one that causes drivers the most kinds of problems. So, what what was the metric for worst? So, it, it, <laughs> the process took a while, uh, and so after about a month or so of emails from me, and then a phone call, and waiting for a couple of weeks for replies, and I, I finally suggested to Paul that maybe we ask his listeners about what they think are the worst intersections in town, and then I can comment about those, and I, I think that would make for a better interactive segment. Well, he said, that sounds good, and then a week or so later... He asked his listeners on their podcast uh, about what they thought the worst intersection was, uh, and then they got some good responses back. They eventually, those responses made it their way to my desk, and then I, I could start working on the project. So I, I started to work on them, and, and in my typical fashion. I was pretty much ready to go the next day, but we didn't have a firm date. That's the difference between TV and, and I guess everything else, because they're, <laughs> they're, their deadlines are, are always a lot uh, looser than, than what I have in television, which is like right here, right now, get it done. Uh, and so anyway, we didn't have a firm date set for the interview, so I kept tinkering with the list of intersections, and we finally set a date for me to go onto their show, and that date was last week. So they record their show in a conference room at the Westward Newspaper Building in downtown Denver. Now, Westward is our Denver free alternative paper that you see these in most large cities. Um, They they cover all kinds of things that, let's say, like the major papers like Denver Post or the Denver Gazette, they don't cover. It's like alternative news, that sort of thing, right? They do have one reporter, Michael Roberts, who reports on media personalities and and TV and radio happenings, and he does a good job with that. Uh, But Westward uh, has been around forever. I've always been a fan of Westward. Really, they they do a great job with, with the resources that they have. And uh, it does have definitely a place and a purpose in our media scene here here in Denver. So I, I was able to go down to uh, the Westward Building, which was just a little building down at uh, 13th and Lincoln. And so I, I go over there, and they they let me in. The building is just about as secure as my TV station, with all kinds of uh, buttons and knobs and and deals and locked doors, <laughs> but they let me in anyway. Uh, so I walk into the uh, what looks like a typical newsroom with cubicles and a few reporters banging away at their keyboards. And and I get to a uh, typical-sized conference room, and there is a a big table in there, and then there's Paul, uh, the executive producer, so meeting him for the first time, and Bree, who is the host of the show. And there was another woman in there. Her name was Olivia, and I'm not sure what Olivia's role was in the whole thing, but she was kind enough to let me borrow a set of headphones. So I thanked her for that. If I had known it was BYOH, I would have been better prepared and brought my own headphones, but I, <laughs> I didn't realize that was going to be the case. So, so I, I sit down at this at this table, and I'm across from Bree, and in front of me is a microphone, not a great microphone, but uh, and they have this large pop screen in the front. So you've probably seen these. i uh, maybe on a YouTube video with uh, with like really good uh, microphones. It's that screen that goes right in the front, so you don't hear like. Pops and like that kind of thing. Right. Um, and she had a similar mic and she had her headphones on large ones too, go over the head uh, over the ears, the whole thing. Uh, that's exactly what I was giving to. They, they were fine. They were good headphones, but then they were, everything was plugged into some sort of recording box. Um, that's where all the cords went. And, and see, I have a setup where I actually have a regular studio mixer with mic inputs that you can adjust with a uh, with a fader deal, and and I have a mix minus, and um, I I have uh, like three other um, uh, line inputs and cords going from there to my computer for the recording. And I find it better and easier to adjust levels this way and get a cleaner sound than than recording in some kind of a box scenario thing, because um, that's what bo- uh, um, uh, Paul just hit a. Hit a button on the box, and it started recording. And I guess they do their thing that way. I, I record it into a computer, and then I can go and edit right there. And boom, cut it up, and because uh, it's a multi-track editor that I use to record stuff. So anyway, that that's a little behind the scenes. So I sit down, uh, and I have my list of papers, my all my answers. So they, I knew they were going to ask me about a whole bunch of like a uh, half a dozen intersections, and so I had a paper for each one, and and some brief comments that I wrote uh, to cover each one. Uh, and so I could be prepared for, for this conversation. So Brie, uh, and I, we just had a, a brief discussion about really nothing, um, right before the interview, it was very short and then boom, right into the interview. And this is how it went today on CityCast Denver.
1: Some of our intersections are just so, so, so bad and so dangerous, but why I've got Denver 7's traffic expert to respond to your calls about our worst intersections and break down why we love to hate them. Today is Wednesday, January 31st. I'm Bray Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Luber aka The Traffic Guy. Welcome to CityCast Denver. Hey,
0: thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: So we're talking today about Denver's worst intersections. We got a bunch of listener nominations. That's good. But I want to start with you because you're the expert. I imagine when you look at an intersection, you maybe see something that the rest of us don't see because you you study these these things. What do you see when you look at an intersection? Uh,
0: it, everyone is so different, and it, each one has its own unique character. Uh, but a, a lot of them are, are basically the same. You you might see, uh, uh, well, let's say, a highway intersection is going to be different where you have a cloverleaf or a partial cloverleaf or a um, a diverging diamond, or a, I mean, there's all kinds of different intersections there are, and they're all unique in their own way. So uh, even though I'm not a trans transportation engineer, I feel like I could be one uh, uh, because of so (laughs) much time I've spent uh, studying these different things.
1: Yeah. And I think you're describing something that a lot of drivers and pedestrians and cyclists and bus drivers experience every day, which is each intersection can look different.
0: Yes. And, And they feel different and they flow traffic differently. And they're all the traffic signals are timed differently. And they're all designed to move traffic efficiently from one place to another, but then you put in, uh, new bike lanes and everybody should be able to move through these intersections, uh, not just vehicles. Right. So then, but, but that was the old way. So there's a lot of intersections that have to be retrofitted and, and, and change so they can accommodate people and bicyclists and scooters and, and yeah. all the rest.
1: So we got a, a bunch of responses from our listeners yeah, that's good. of their, <laughs> the, the intersections that probably just caused them the most ire. Right. Um, we got a text that says the worst intersection has to be Lincoln and 20th slash Broadway and 20th. Oh. <laughs> it's awful. Um, uh, so I'm thinking about this. This is sort of like, you're coming down Lincoln. You have no idea you're about to round this curve and hit like, Six options of lanes. There's also a light rail track that runs right through the middle uh-huh. of it. It's kind of where five points and downtown the wonky grid sort of yeah. clash. Um, what 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 ha- what happened here? Do you feel like it should be redesigned? <laughs> it, well, it,
0: it is tricky. But the trickiness comes from, and most people are are going northbound on Lincoln Street, and and they're trying to get to Broadway. Mm-hmm. That's what most people are trying to do. So when you're going northbound on Lincoln Street, it dead ends at 20th, and you have to either go right. It didn't used to always be a right. Uh, they, they've now, in the last few years, made it where you can actually go uh, to the right. But most people would have to go left. But that's where it gets tricky, because you have to decide whether you're going to get onto Welton Street, onto Broadway, right. and go north. Uh, if you want to keep going on 20th, or you want to go left on Broadway, or you Want to go down California, so you ha- have all these different choices <laughs> all in one short area. And if you're not in the right lane, in the correct lane, I should say, sure a- a- ahead of time, then you're then you're done. And-, and, it- and it's a really tricky thing to try to get over. So if if you want to get onto Welton Street, then you're going to have to get in the far right lane of Lincoln Street, so you can make the left, and then you have to make the quick right. Uh, but you can do the same thing if you're going to Broadway. So you get have to get in the far two right lanes to get to Broadway, or the far left lanes if you want to go south. <laughs> on Broadway, because right. Broadway at that point you can go north or south. Right. And then it starts the one way south right after that. So it, it's one of those unique places. Uh the, the funny thing is there's actually this overhead sign. Right. That's what I'm infiltrating oh, yeah.
1: is it tells you where you can go. But right. literally it, it, it holds yeah, really it holds those it.
0: different signs. The problem is it's too close to the Broadway intersection. So by that time, yeah. you're too late to figure out where you want to go. So you have to <laughs> go through there at least once, know where you want to go. And most people go on their routes regularly. So sure. they know where they want to go the second time. Uh, and so just get over early enough and you should be fine. It, it is an interesting little intersection and it's a good way to cut across to the north side of downtown over to Coors Field.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is the little sort of secret way. Yep. I- the, I mean, just thinking about how you just described it, all these different ways that people are trying to go. And like you said, most folks have an idea of what they're doing. But, yeah. you know, I imagined. Tourists or someone who's newer to the city just coming around that curve and being like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. Is there something that could be changed or redesigned about
0: that now, the, the problem with downtown, the problem with Denver in, in general is that it was originally laid out along Cherry Creek, mm-hmm. where Cherry Creek and the Platte all come together. That's Confluence Park right. that started Denver. But Denver started off as, as a kind of crooked grid. And so that's why downtown is different than everything else, because everything else is north, south, east, west. Um, and, and you don't want me to go into how the whole streets are numbered and how Ellsworth <laughs> and Broadway is the center of everything. And it goes off from that. Um, but th- so downtown is a little bit crooked and that's where you see that 20th Lincoln Broadway area where Just it's it, becomes- the crooked next to the square. Yes. And when you have a crooked next to a square, it doesn't ever quite work properly. Yeah. And so there, there's really no redesign. And when you have all these new buildings and uh, you've, you've seen it all, you're not going to tear those down to do a different road design. Right. So we're kind of stuck with what we got.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because at that curve is a it's like a skyscraper. It's a yeah. big building. It's oh, yeah. not it's not going no. anywhere. No, so no, no. It's really just like slow down and give people a little bit of,
0: yeah.
1: of, of leeway who yeah, don't exactly. know the intersection. Yeah.
0: But, but the people aren't in the mood for slowing down. No, Nobody wants to slow down. And that's one of the problems <laughs> for any intersection or anywhere around Metro Denver is people are going too fast yeah. in general.
1: And I want to talk about that later because oh, yeah. I think that you're right. That's an easy solution. But um, okay, so our next intersection is from Bruce in Edgewater. He says Federal Boulevard and 14th slash Howard Place. Like many intersections on Denver's high-injury Network, this intersection has and continues to have an alarming number of fatal crashes. Making matters worse, this deadly intersection must be traversed to use one of Denver's busiest transit hubs, the Decatur Federal Station. But what makes this intersection truly stand out over other terrible intersection is that is it is on a CDOT-managed road, Federal Boulevard, immediately in front of CDOT's headquarters. And he says CDOT could redesign the intersection to reduce fatalities, but instead they have made the choice to let people to continue to literally die on their doorstep. So this one's clearly about pedestrian injuries and and fatalities. Yeah. What do you think makes this intersection so dangerous? It's
0: been a problem intersection for years and years and, and, and really a scene for pedestrians getting hurt and killed. And the problem is that federal right there it, there, there's a couple issues. One, it, it's a huge transit area. There are a lot of buses that come in there and not only stop there because folks are trying to get over to the light rail station, the W, the, the Decatur station yeah. uh, for the W line. And so they're running across the street. They're jumping off the bus, running across the street, not waiting for the light to change. And so, or they're trying to get one of their other many buses. I think there's five different bus routes that come in there. And then of course the rail line. So you you have all these people that are on a street with drivers, and, and that's never great. The other big issue there is that federal widens out and, and it feels wide. And wherever you have a wide-feeling street, the speed limit is 35. Is but it? The, yes, the speed limit is 35 miles an hour, but nobody goes 35. No. When you have a street that feels wide and is open, people tend to go faster mm-hmm. than they do when you have a street that's narrow and feels restricted. It's the same thing if you were driving on— Sherman Street, uh, a couple blocks off of Broadway at, let's say, 3rd. You have people that are parked on both sides of the roadway, so it feels narrow, and and you have to go slower than you can on Federal, where it feels much wider and much more open, especially right there, because you're on the south side of a major intersection of Colfax and Federal, right? right? And so that is is a high-throughput interchange. It's almost designed like it's a highway interchange for two surface roads. It
1: looks like a highway and it's for Colfax and federal.
0: Yeah. And then you have the jurisdictional issues, like you said, because federal is Colorado 88. um, And so it's managed by CEDA. There's a lot of surface roads that you think are just a regular street, but they're actually state highways. Kipling is one that's 391, and and you have Wadsworth at 121, or no, Kipling's 392. Uh, And then it's, uh, yeah, 121 is Wadsworth, Colorado Boulevard is Highway 2. So you have all these different what you think is a regular city street.
1: But it's managed by it's someone managed by, else.
0: And then you have the city of county of Denver that's also involved there. So trying to get things changed is somewhat complicated. The bureaucracy
1: can get a little bit complicated oh, when it's CDOT versus Dotty.
0: Yes. And, and so a couple of years ago, CDOT did make some roadway improvements along federal, but just south of that intersection from about 12th Avenue or so Holden Place down to 7th or about 6th Avenue. So they made some changes there, but they did not do it from that point over to Colfax. And they're actually doing pedestrian improvements from 23rd up to 27th. And then also along Colfax from Irving Street, which is just off of Federal uh, to the West a little bit, all the way out to Sheridan. Now, city council knows it's a problem. CDOT knows it's a problem. Dotty knows it's a problem, The de- to, uh, Denver's Department of Transportation and Infrastructure. But with so many of those governments involved, it, it takes more time, more planning, all of that to, to, get, anything to get anything done. done. Um, Amy Ford, who is the new chief of Dotty, she knows it's a problem. I've talked to Amy about it, and, and she will work on something. It's funny because back in September, CDOT tried—have you been in neighborhoods— where they put up those little plastic boy little kind of looking things, guy looking like, signs with, yeah, with a, a, a flag. flag right. It's like,
1: please slow down. Exactly.
0: Uh, they, and, and they say that it's supposed to be awareness of pedestrian safety. Does it ever work? Yeah, kind of. But they put those on street corners. Yeah. Well, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> They're not paying attention to the humans that are on the this, on this side. <laughs> so the drivers aren't, I they don't care. I remember when they did that. Yeah.
1: It felt a little offensive to me as yeah. a pedestrian because it's like, nobody's going to see that. No, they
0: don't care. Uh, but one solution might actually come from, there's a big development that's going to be created on the south side of Mile High Stadium. Okay, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's right now it's going to be like almost like a mini downtown on the south side of the stadium. If they if if the uh that all
1: goes through. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. If if they also if they decide to keep the stadium where it is and not move it over to Elitches or out to <laughs>
1: then that's a whole
0: other or show out to East Denver or wherever they're going to put it. But if that happens, they could redesign Colfax and Federal, and that could then in turn. Recreate that entire movement. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about a high throughput interchange that needs to be redesigned. So, could they change Federal where it's going to be two, one southbound, one northbound uh, lane, and then make it a regular intersection similar to like they have at Colfax in Colorado? Just make
1: it smaller.
0: Make it smaller. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Le- less fast. Sure. Um, that sort of thing. So, there's all kinds of different interchange designs that you could make to federal and Colfax, which would then in turn, and then you have all that land that is not being used properly right there at federal sure. and Colfax. So you could make a safer, smaller, better intersection for everybody involved especially for the transit users maybe even make designated transit areas or overpasses that sort of thing to get yeah. the transit folks uh, through there safer and then use that land for I don't know affordable housing or sure. whatever else you want because there's a lot of wasted land over there
1: So I would say for that intersection stay tuned folks we'll That's we'll keep watching it <laughs>
0: There is a um, lot to go on. there's a lot going on over there Hey it's Paul Caroli executive producer with Citycast Denver You remember that time when I went to that retirement community to interview that mayoral candidate no one else was taking seriously, Renata Behrens? That was such a fun day for me, and I'm so glad that I got to bring her story and her actual ideas for the mayor's office to a much, much bigger audience than she'd had. And you know what? If it wasn't for CityCast Denver, I'm not sure any of us would have ever gotten to know Renata Behrens. So become a member of CityCast Denver today and uh, make sure we can keep doing that kind of thing for a long, long time to come. You also get to enjoy special perks like ad-free listening, event invites, and members-only updates. Just go to membership.citycast.fm. Thanks.
1: So our next one is a text. Uh, My name is Taylor, and I'm a Denver resident, but I'm frequently in Lakewood. I hate the intersection of Kipling and Alameda. (laughs) It is so slow and people drive so fast. When I heard this one, Jason, I thought, wouldn't this be solved, this intersection be solved by people just slowing down?
0: Yes. Uh, (laughs) It's really a typical high-speed major intersection. Kipling, like I said, at highway 391. Um, Alameda actually used to be... a state highway out there until a part of a C470, uh, build out there, they actually, the state gave right. that part of Alameda to, Back to Lakewood. Lakewood. Um, and so, so the part of Alameda is still Colorado 26, but not that part, but still what my, my point is that it's still designed as a major as a highway. High, yeah highway intersection. Um, it's really unremarkable for the most part. Um, it, there's about 40,000 vehicles that use it every single day. But that's 10,000 less than a busier intersection just to the east at Alameda and Wadsworth. That's because you have the huge, Yeah, well, no, you have not only Sixth Avenue just up the way, but you have the huge development over there with Mm. the shops and the restaurants and all of that. You don't have that over at Kipling and Alameda. And so it's more of a people just driving through intersection. There's no major developments over there to stop and slow down traffic. So typically, as we talked about earlier, If there's no reason for somebody to slow down, they won't. And they'll typically try to go as fast as they can. And should maybe Lakewood go out there or the state patrol and and run some speed? Yeah, they should. Maybe try to slow some folks down. down. So it's not really a... Crazy intersection, it's just people are driving too fast because it's designed for people to go fast.
1: The signal drivers are getting from the design of it is, I. this is for me, I'm going fast. There's not enough built around it. There's high-speed
0: ramps to go from one movement to another. uh, And and the traffic signals allow for folks to just keep motoring through there. And and there's no reason. There's not a lot of pedestrians. And again, there's no shops over there. So it allows folks to go faster than maybe they should.
1: So the next one is something I just want to ask you about personally because it's this intersection... (laughs) First in Broadway, there was this year. It was like 2019. Three different cars at different yeah. times drove into the Hornet restaurant and bar. Um, was there something about this particular intersection that this I, happened three I remember three it times? as
0: Mary and Lou's Cafe. Oh sure. Oh back yep. way back. Yeah. Yeah. Back, <laughs> back in the day. In, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then it became the Hornet. I think it was in '90 something. It yeah, was it like was 25 years 90s. ago. A long time ago. Well, yeah. All right. So. That And that whole intersection has changed also over mm-hmm. the last year or so. Totally. But again, it's one of those places where people are driving one too fast, driving distracted, and driving impaired. So I was looking at some of the – you were mentioning 2018 mm. is when these three crashes happened at the Hornet. And one of them, somebody was – impaired. Another person was driving distracted and speeding, and you have a high-speed turn in there going from southbound Broadway to make that left and go east on First Avenue, and so that's what's happening. People are just going too fast or distracted, and and they're missing the turn, basically. It's like there was, uh, over the weekend, there was a drunk driver that drove into the uh, El Senor Soul Mexican food restaurant down off of South University. Okay. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So somebody oh, no. because and that person was driving Im- drunk and mm-hmm. that's what the police said they're driving impaired and ran right into the restaurant and now the uh, unfortunately the owners of that restaurant the building's condemned and they can't go in there and oh, the, so gosh. that so this one person's action yeah. to drive drunk has now wrecked the lives of not only the people that own yeah. that but all the people that used to go there and work there and all of that. So uh, the drunk driving thing is 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 terrible and it's a major problem. But for Broadway at first, it's all changed now because you have the bike lane Mm -hmm. that has been constructed in there. Yes. Then you have the separate lane for parking, Mm -hmm. and then you have fewer travel lanes, right? And so with all of that, it's gonna be harder to make that quick left because there are so many now restrictions in that intersection. I think people, and we haven't seen anybody running into the Hornet for years now, and I think this is going to help keep that. And plus they have this large concrete planter and a couple of big concrete bollards that are uh, up there. Uh, basically, big concrete poles yeah. right in front of the restaurant. So, if somebody hits that, it will slow them At down enough, hopefully, that they won't continue off into, into, into the restaurant unless restaurant. they have a big enough car uh, or vehicle, whatever, that carries them in there. But that should help prevent it um, in the future. But it's just, again, people being distracted. And that's what the State Patrol said in, in uh, a recent n- news conference that people are distracted. There were over, s- what, s- I think six or 700 people that were killed on Colorado ro- roadways in last year. It's all distracted. People are distracted. They're speeding and they're impaired. That is what it's about.
1: It's a bad bad combination. Yes. Um, Okay, next we have a voicemail that we're going to play. Okay. And we'll hear from one of our listeners. Hey,
0: Brie. I'm responding to your challenge to come up with the very worst uh, intersection in Denver. I've got it. It is where East Ohio meets I-25, but it's a spaghetti monster that would kill anybody who goes through it. If you look at your Google Maps you'll see there are five or six roads that cram in there and people are trying to get on 25 and off 25 at the same rate. This is not going to work. Anyway, the name is Peter Moore and I live in Fort Collins. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll have a suggestion for Peter and and how he can get around this in just a second. Yeah. Uh, This is another unique intersection. I go through there every day because I live on the south side of town and I get off at Lincoln Street, the exit there, uh, to come into downtown Denver, to go to Denver 7. And so right there where you come off the highway, that is where Ohio Avenue is at Lincoln and Broadway. Now, the the I-25 Broadway station is the second busiest station in all of Denver, All right, so it's yeah, so it's second to Union Station where everything comes together, but that it is the second uh, busiest in the RTD system. So the city is in the process of making major changes all through there. So if he's coming southbound on Broadway and he wants to make the left to go on Ohio and then go to uh, northbound twenty five, it's actually kind of screwy unless he lives like right there. But I, I can't even think of any apartments, a couple of houses in there. But there are better ways to get around it. So. What the city is going to do is they're going to move that traffic signal when you're coming off of I-25 to go into Lincoln Street. Right now, it's right at Lincoln Street. They're going to take that and move it back to Ohio and hold that traffic that's on the ramp farther back. Oh. That's going to allow Ohio Avenue to actually now have through movement because right now at that ramp, it's just a not even a stop sign. It's a stop sign for Ohio folks, but not for the folks coming off of I-25. Just a little bit west of there, there's a light at Lincoln and Ohio. And then just a little bit west of there, there's the Ohio and Broadway light. But with the change of the light coming back to Ohio Avenue, all of those three signals are going to have to be timed better. So it will make for better sense for that driver when he's coming southbound on Broadway, makes the left on Ohio, that he's going to get through there a lot smoother because all of those three signals have to be timed correctly to let that movement go and hold the Lincoln and I-25 traffic back when that happens. So that will help. It's all part of also coming southbound on Broadway and you want to go south I-25. You used to go under the bridge. Right. Now you're going to go before the bridge. You're actually going to make a right right after that uh, – f- uh, The Uh, Garment District deal, right? Oh, sure, sure, All that stuff where that big yellow... Oh, the
1: the, uh, articulated wall. Yeah, there you Mm
0: -hmm. go. By Um, Herbert (laughs) Baer. So you're actually going to take a right. You're going to go under, almost by the RTD station, under I-25, and you're going to get on this ramp that will take you to South I-25. Over top of Broadway, so it's going to eliminate that movement altogether.
1: Instead of like those two lanes that come, they have to cross over other lanes. Yes, exactly. So they're going to eliminate
0: all that. So it hopefully will make that all a lot safer, not only for the drivers, but also they want to have better uh, pedestrian and bike throughput because so many people are going over to to that that station, RTD station. Um, My suggestion, actually, for this for Peter, right? Yes, uh, is actually if, if you're coming south on Broadway. It, it, don't even go there at all. Actually take a right <laughs> onto uh, Alameda from Alameda from Broadway going over, like you're going to Santa Fe. Okay? okay. Then you take a right onto Santa Fe. Now the only hitch here is if the train is rolling through there and then you'll have to wait. You just wait for yeah. just a sec. Uh, but then uh, you're going to make almost an immediate left on a Bayad. So, after Alameda, immediate left on a bayonet, and that takes you to I 25. Now, that ramp is a little squirrely. I was
1: just going to say, this is it's an a old school town. It is an old, yes. It's you an can old, tell it's an old highway entrance. Yes, it
0: is. <laughs> uh, and it will get you to I 25 right in that ramp, which would take you up to 6th Avenue. So, I would suggest that would be a good way for you to avoid this I 25 Broadway, Inter- uh, uh, Ohio intersection mess altogether. Yeah. Um, and so, that might get you around a little bit faster.
1: But also, what I, I'm hearing you say here is there's all these different factors that I don't think we always think about is not just like how we're driving, the pedestrians that we're watching out for, yeah. the bus, the way that the road is designed, the signal, mm-hmm. the timing of the things. So there's all this stuff that goes into it. and then it can be impacted by how much traffic all of a sudden is there. or, you know, like, I, I just I think we don't think about the complexity of something other than just like, I hate yeah. this highway. well, and, he,
0: and here's a good example. So right next to Denver seven, uh, the, the TV station where I work, right over by Sixth and Spear and everything. We've had a couple of big apartment buildings g- yeah, constructed there. Sure. We used to have these row of homes that were had maybe eight homes. So imagine there's eight families in there and they have two cars each, 16 cars, maybe total. Right. And so your infrastructure is designed for that. For those, now yeah. you have those homes gone. You have an apartment building that can hold what, 500 people, right? Let's say even 10% of them have a car. So you're and that would be any any city planner's dream to have 90% walking or using or or yeah. using um public transit, right? And so you have now 50 cars yeah. instead of the 16. And so, but you haven't changed your infrastructure sure. to accommodate for that extra traffic. Yeah. Um and, and so with and it, it's not just in that one block, then it's the next block and the next block and the next block. And so you have all of these, and, and you know, obviously, no, it's not gonna be just 10% of the vehicle, the people that live there. Are are using vehicles. Uh, most of them are. So unfortunately, you have all of these extra cars and people moving around and even walking and biking, and you don't have the infrastructure changes to accommodate all those people. Yeah. So all of that has to be taken account with the city it's a planners. Big, it's a yeah. And with Dottie and and I, I it's a big complex yes. math problem. Exactly. I,
1: I kind of I would like to leave folks on a positive note though. Do <laughs> okay. you do you have a favorite intersection in the city?
0: Um, I, I, actually, there's over at, um, on the, I guess it would be South low high or whatever. It's anyway, it's <laughs> where 15th and Boulder and Umatilla and everything kind of comes together right there. It's, it's just on the other side of I-25. Jason, the west side of, what?
1: that intersection's
0: insane. <laughs> oh no, I love it. It's great. It's just because it is so crazy, and you don't know where you're going. You don't and it's know where just, you're going. I love it.
1: There's no sign. You yeah. can't really tell. There's this giant middle section yeah. of the street. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love that you love that. It's one.
0: A- <laughs> 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 and it's so. And very few people know how crazy it is because it's not widely traveled. Uh, but uh, yeah. But all
1: the streets off of it are very slim, so oh, you sure. can't really be going super fast,
0: even though people try.
1: Yes, it's true. It's true. Well, Jason, this was so much fun. Thank yeah. you so much.
0: Of course, glad to help.
1: Talking to Jason, I'm not sure we've identified the worst intersection in the city just yet. I know there are a bunch more we need to deconstruct. So what do you think? Is it any of these four we talked about today? Or is it another one that you drive, bike, or walk through every day that's worse than all of them combined? The Bad Intersection hotline is open at 720-500-5418. Text or leave us a voicemail on the Bad Intersections hotline at 720-500-5418.
0: And there you go. I, I actually think I think it turned out pretty well. I, I I probably could have been more succinct in a couple of the answers, but the uh, but but the interview was at noon, which is at the end of my long broadcast day. I wasn't quite as sharp as I am earlier in the morning, and it was a busy morning. But hey, it was it was still good information. It was still good conversation. I I think they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I I, I um left in there contact information by the way at the at the end of there that you that you heard just in case you maybe want to contact citycast Denver I also included the links to them in the description of this episode uh, so if you want to comment to them about how I did or or their uh, intersections or your war- intersection wherever you are uh, you can you can contact citycast Denver if you like. Uh, They they told me it was one of their more listened to and engaging episodes where they had a lot of listeners engaging with the episode. So that's encouraging because I think everybody is affected in some way by traffic, by transportation. Even if you don't have a car, let's say you only walk or you scooter or you transit or you do only use a personal vehicle. Everyone really is affected by traffic and roads and getting around in some way. And that's why I say this show is... Is anything that gets you from here to there because it really affects how we live our daily lives, and people are passionate about how they get around and and uh, and and how it affects their their daily life. So, uh, anyway, if you have a question comment about that interview, then you can contact me in any of the contact links in the description of the show. Uh, but before you go, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I wanted to. I saw this story. And if you didn't know, there's a guide that uh, traffic engineers, they, they call the uniform the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices. And basically, it's a guide uh, from from the federal government and, and really all the governments, right, on how to paint roads and set up traffic signals and road signs. So, so there's uniformity across the country. So when you're driving from California to New York, you'll see the same type road pavement uh, markings and signs and all of that. So it's pretty much the same throughout the country. But what it also does is limit the creativity of road engineers to come up with practical solutions to problems like being seen better in a crosswalk or seeing lane lines better. And and a case in point, the public works department in Kuala Lumpur says they're trying out luminescent road paint. In other words, glow in the dark road markings, which makes perfect sense, right? The public works minister there conducted an on-site inspection personally to assess the efficiency of their new markings in a test area. And he said that paint like that, like the glow in the dark, would be beneficial, obviously, for dark roadways without any streetlights. Uh, It has visibility of up to 10 hours after soaking in the sun all day and still provides a good glow even after, let's say, rainy weather, where you don't get as much uh, direct sunlight because of the clouds. Now, obviously, the paint will cost more than regular paint, so they were just testing it, Um, but wouldn't that be a great addition to our roadways, especially in areas where you don't have snow that you're scraping the pavement all the time and scraping up uh, glow-in-the-dark paint? Because in the uh, Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, it, it doesn't have guidelines on glow-in-the-dark paint, it just regular, straight white paint. <laughs> Nothing glow-in-the-dark. Uh, this is why I think I should be transportation secretary to get things like this done. Um, that's who I am. I'm a doer. I'm a getter-dunner. Uh, and I think <laughs> I could get that done because, yeah, look, uh, people are getting hit too often on, on roadways, and and if you could make any difference to, or you know make improvements to to let them be seen. Uh, then I think it's a, a good idea. Anyway, thanks to CityCast Denver again for having me on their show, and thank you for listening to my show. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.